Fearless Narrative is the podcast where we spotlight amazing female entrepreneurs and artists who are changing the world today. Enjoy the show. Hello, this is Fearless Narratives. I am your host, Cortland Jones. And I'm your host, Kia Miner, and we are welcoming a diversity, equity, and belonging specialist, Bianca Sullivan, hailing from Boston, Mass. How you doing, girl? I am good. How are you ladies doing? Thank you so much for having me. We're good. We're happy to have you too. Yes. And uh, yeah, welcome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what an honor for you. No, I'm just <laughs> to start us off today, B, um, we want to really get, you know, into the background of you, how you became an expert in your field, because I know you bounced around a couple different industries. So can you give us a, an idea of how you got here? Of course. Um, so I'll start with college. Um, so in college, I was a student athlete. Um, I played lacrosse at Howard University. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Of course, lacrosse is definitely a sport that um, a lot of Black people do not play. Um, so always advocating for myself on and off the field. Um, what sparked my interest in just advocacy as a whole was the lack of representation in our student paper. Um, I did not see much of any female sports being highlighted. And I was always frustrated with that because we were working just as hard as the football team, just as hard as the basketball team, but we never made the cover page. Um, so I did go up to the head of the paper and I was like, what's going on? Like, we work just as hard. Like, why can't we make it to the front page? And they were just like, well, no one wants to write on it. So if you care so much, do something about it, write about it. And I was like, mm. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the reason why I came here. I wasn't trying to be the solution, but challenge taken, let's do it. Um, so I started writing for the school paper. I started covering uh, women's sports, which was awesome. As a result, um, a good amount of teammates and other female athletes did join on just to create more visibility of um, women athletes at, at Howard. Um, and that kind of led into my first take of the entertainment industry as a whole. Um, I was a journalism major, I'm very interested in everything, TV, media, and sports. Uh, landed my first internship at Seven News here in Boston, um, learning the ins and outs of a newsroom. Um, and then after that went on like an internship bender. So I've interned with NBC, uh, CBS, ESPN, Fox, uh, basically every news outlet that exists. Um, I've had an internship with them. Um, so of course, after graduating, I wanted to get a full-time job um, in the industry. Um, of course, every role or every community I was a part of, there was always very little people that looked like me, um, especially when it came to being in senior level positions. So, Fast forwarding to um, my role before DK, I was at NBC Sports um, and I did a few things. I um, worked in DNI, um, I worked in sales and I worked in production as well um, and did spend a lot of time um, just talking about the importance of inclusion and belonging and making sure that diverse perspectives are, are being heard. Um, and I think with the murder of George Floyd that just 
sent myself and everyone else over the edge in terms of like, all right, I got to reposition myself to um, be in a better place to actually make an impact. Um, so that's what led me to transition over to DraftKings as a um, full-time DNI strategist, uh, just to help move the needle and drive real change. Um, as a former athlete, I'm always going to be an athlete. So sitting at the intersection of sports, uh, technology, and inclusion was just the perfect home base for me. So that's how I got where I am. And uh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, I, I speaking from the athlete perspective, right? And I'm sure a bunch of our viewers and listeners are gonna be athletes as well. Um, or former athletes, current athletes, whatever. But that I feel like when you're in school, whether it's high school, no matter what level of school you're at, like you always think about, okay, like how can I make this a job? Like how can I get paid to? And normally the only thing you think about is either being on the court field, whatever, or being on the sidelines, right? Like as a coach. So I feel like you are a perfect example of these, the, endless possibilities, right? You can still be uh, connected to sports and do something that is meaningful and matters. And it doesn't mean that you have to be directly connected to in terms of being a coach or being a player. So that's that's cool that you were able to carve out that section for yourself because I feel like most people wouldn't have that, even that forethought to see it that way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I also think like, even when I think of TV, um, before I had my first internship, you know, a lot of times when I even mentioned to people that I worked in the industry, everyone always says, oh my God, like, were you on air? And, you know, on air is just a small perspective of what it means to work in entertainment. So even at all the internships that I had, I was always intentional of interning in a different department. So I interned with sales, I interned with creative, I interned with production team, just to see how all of these functions really work together to broadcast your six o'clock news or you know your Celtics game that's taking place at 7:30 p.m. Um, and similar to athletics, right? You don't always have to be the athlete or the coach in order to be a part of sports. So exposure is one hell of a thing. That's a fact. That is, and you know what? I was actually talking to um, Cortland. <clears throat> the other day because being uh or, or understanding what a metco program is if you're not from boston and massachusetts you don't necessarily understand what that means you better heard of it. it just sounds like letters um and curious if there's a connection to you know where you're at now because it sounds like advocacy obviously has been in the way you play your sport and 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 trying to make sure that you are People know you're where you're supposed to be. Um, for people that don't know, the Metco program is basically a modern day busing system in um, the Boston area. It takes underprivileged black and brown youth and disperses them to the more affluent towns in the surrounding Boston area. Um, and these kids, just like you know, our, uh, for lack of a better word, forefathers, right? Our ancestors did the same thing. Um, they got up at the ass crack of dawn <laughs> and had to wait for the bus, get to the bus, go to school to the little white kids and, and, and get afforded all the opportunities that you wouldn't had you just stayed in a, a Boston public school. So um, would you say that your experience at Wellesley 
led you to like really be obviously we will all be passionate as black and brown people black and brown women but would you say that played a large factor in where you're at now a hundred percent i think that you know for meco um just to give you an insight on some numbers so my graduating class from wellesley was 480 students and there were only eight black students in my whole class um so when you think of you know, a lack of color or inequity in the education system, those numbers alone are just fine proof there. hundred um, percent, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> literally one of the only. Um, so I started in the MECO program in, in first grade. Um, at the time it was a very, still is a pretty competitive program to get into. Um, my mom signed me up as soon as as soon as a kid can get a birth certificate. That's when they're <laughs> able to get registered. Mm -hmm. um, so she signed me up the day that I got out of the hospital and I got in in first grade. So a very extensive um, waiting period. Wow. Uh, for me, Mecca was a good experience. Um, I did get assigned to a really good host family, which is a family that you're assigned to um, throughout the course of your tenor in Mecca. Um, they have designated days, so it's like the first Wednesday of each month, you know, school will get out a little early at 12 o'clock and you have the chance just to hang out with them um, to get acclimated into the town. So my host family, they were big on ice skating and horseback riding. So that's what I did with them. I remember my host family, they bought me a horse. Um, that was probably the most privileged thing that I could ever <laughs> Yeah, I would say so. Damn. A lot. Um, but they did really expose me to um, just a different lifestyle. Um, and I think that our families did a really good job um, at creating a relationship um, outside of, of the MECO program. Yeah. Um, but definitely always being kind of that one black girl in every classroom did force me to advocate for myself a lot. Um, it was very uncommon that we spoke about race outside of Black History Month and always during Black History Month, it was like, oh, Bianca, like, have you ever watched the movie Roots? Or like, hey, Bianca, we're reading, oh you know, the Watsons go to Birmingham. Like, you know, what are your thoughts? And it's like, oh we're in a classroom with about 40 other people. What are their thoughts, right? Okay. I know the story. Like, do, do you? Um, and can we talk about this in, I don't know, in March? Can we talk about this in April? Why does it have to be only spoken about during the month of February? Um, but I feel like I've always been good with with adversity and have always used it as like a, a chip on my shoulder to just continue um, driving for change. Um, so I think Howard actually was a good fit for me on like, you know, in one instance, I was always the minority um, at, in MECO um, and then switching over to Howard, which is an HBCU, um, being the majority was a really good feeling just to be amongst people um, who look like me um, who were just as smart as me and were also looking to become like change makers in the world. When I was a kid, I I went to like white neighborhoods for schools, but like not, it wasn't really called that, but like, you know, that's how it kind of felt um, because it wasn't, I wasn't, my mom didn't want us to be in schools that were like the bad schools ever that, that were actually in my, my neighborhood because they were, you know, a little bit more dangerous in those areas. But so I had to go to school like half an hour away and like walk, walk to school both ways and go to like, you know, like the good schools with quotes, quotes for the good schools. And there weren't many kids there that were black either. But I, I know, I noticed now that my friends back then 
weren't black friends even only because to them I was like whitewashed or an inside out Oreo whoever it was which I hate that so much um that's like the biggest insult um so most of my like best friends were like Hispanics or or white or Asians and because like my my own people you know like didn't even want to like be my friend at the time was weird and so school was where I didn't feel there was much diversity but then going into my career as an adult and being in the actual job job force even even as an employee in the office I was mostly there the only one there that that was black out of the entire company for many companies and going back to I guess my most recent job I was the only one in my whole team and I think I told this to Hakia before that I was like chosen to be their like spokesperson to explain to them the murder of George Floyd and why it was important because they didn't care to learn about it themselves and literally said that like they were yeah, like, told me that <laughs> in a care about it enough to learn about it ourselves so can you just give us the cliff notes yeah so I'm just always feeling like I'm never in the spaces that I want to be in as a black person I think having like this podcast has me talking to more of my people <laughs> more than ever which is great because I haven't had I've always been an outsider for so many years and I, I can't I ever figure out where to fit in as a black female amongst others in this world it's just, I feel like I don't have a place to like you know have me be my own wow I I appreciate your vulnerability I think the part that stuck with me the most was the Oreo, the Oreo reference mm-hmm. <laughs> on like, you know, you're not black enough to hang out with your black friends, but you're too black to hang out with your white friends. So it's kind of like, well, like, wh- where do I fit in here? Like, I'm, I'm literally still just a kid, right? I'm still trying to figure out what my social skills are. I didn't even know what hard skills versus soft skills were. Like, I just came to learn and came to play. Um, and I think that that does a lot to someone's confidence at a very young age. And I think that for you all even creating this podcast to share these stories, it does highlight how many of us have gone through similar instances. And I don't know if when we were younger, if we even had, the, if we even knew how to articulate ourselves on like what it is we're actually experiencing and like what can these universities or companies provide to us to you know create that sense of um belonging so that is why i like working in inclusion equity and belonging (laughs) nice tie-in love that yeah (laughs) well done provide those opportunities for people it's it's super important so um you know Hats off to you all for creating this platform, but I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Yay, girl. <laughs> and I don't know if I told you, Corlin, but um, Bianca and I know each other from actually probably one of the first spaces I've ever been in where there are multiple black and brown faces after I moved out of New York. We went to the same sleepaway camp Aww. in New Hampshire. Cool. and they had a program, a scholarship program that allowed for um, underprivileged students to go on scholarship. I was one of the kids on scholarship. 
and a lot of Bianca's on scholarship. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of our friends at camp were on scholarship because we were like, we want to be here. We want to get scholarship. Like, this is expensive. So it was like, oh, and I think what we were 11, 12, 13 in that, in that range. Um, and I, it was like a week or two weeks in, in the woods in New Hampshire. We had cabins, we sang songs, like we all, like all the stuff you see on TV, like that was what we did. But if it wasn't for the diversity in that space, there's no way you would have caught me. Go like I went two years in a row. After that, I was like, I got cute, and I was trying to be out here with the boys. It's an all girls camp. It's all I'll be. I'll be transparent. Okay, it's an all girls camp, and I was like, summer is too precious for me to be up in these mountains when I'm cute. Days. I can't. I think it was actually twenty one days. Maybe it was a minute. I it was a it was long a time. It was a minute, and I knew I couldn't commit. To that time, I couldn't commit to that time. <laughs> but before that, like it was, it was, I, I, and I'm sure you can speak to this too. Be like, there was, there was so many like special moments that you you naturally have when you're surrounded by people that look like you. Yeah, that become even more special because you're like, oh my god, like everybody's dealing with the same issues with their hair in the morning. Mm -hmm. you know, like you're not trying to hide your scarf because you know, oh, black girl, that's <laughs> dying my hair up, you know? Like, it was just, everybody got thick thighs and like, it was just, you know, the normal stuff that that doesn't feel normal to us because we're always around the, the fairer skin folks. And you're just, you've just made to feel, like you said, out of place and awkward and wrong. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely agreed. And what I liked about you, Kia, in particular at camp was, um, so first of all, she's an amazing athlete. Oh God. <laughs> I have to start with that. I've heard that, and, yes. Um, I think the camp did it on purpose, but like we were probably like the two most competitive athletes, humbly bragging, at the camp and they would always put us on separate teams. Always. And what I appreciated about that was for one, I would always look forward to competing with her and two, it was very uncommon that like I would compete with other black women who were just really in it for the sport, like just a diehard athlete. And I think a lot of those nuances, like, you know, my hair, like I just got my hair flat iron, like mm -hmm. I can run or like I'm really talented, but I'm only going to give you 60% because I don't want to sweat out my roots. Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand it. But I also understand that we are in the middle of New Hampshire, barely with any running water, barely with any comb, you know, oil supplies to like do a fresh slick back or whatever the case <laughs> may be. And like, that was what I appreciated about her was like, she was willing to get into the mud. She was all over the place, volleyball, basketball, swimming, like just a kick-ass athlete and it was very inspirational and I loved it. So I wanted to throw that out there. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. What you did know is like, homegirl couldn't do her hair anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> I still can't do my hair, but I, I also didn't know how to for many years because I wasn't you know around anybody who, who could teach me. Same. But, um, yeah, but like the kids at school, okay, who are clearly not black, they would pull my hair out of my head and be like, what is this? It looks different than mine. I'm like, you're literally pulling out my hair from my scalp. Are you kidding me right now? For years. Ow. Yeah, for years. <laughs> okay, I hate these hair. 
hated freaking kids. Anyway, but <laughs> but so when I started to get older, I had gone to a hair salon for finally to you know get my hair actually you know done properly or for me. And the first thing my when I called on the phone to to, to have the appointment booked, the guy the stylist stylist was like, "You sound like a white girl. That that is a blessing." Mm-hmm. So when I walked in there as a black person, he's like, "Wow." I thought you were white because of your voice. And like the fact that he thought it was a compliment made it worse. So I want to ask you, Bianca and Kia, what is an insult that, or an insult quote that you have received that, that you're actually proud of, if any? That's a good question. Is two come to mind for me. Um, one is you're pretty for a dark skin girl. Mm. The second is, wow, you're smart and you're beautiful. Oh my God. I think those are the two that I've been getting for ever. Um, and those are the two that I always find to be the biggest backhanded compliments. Yeah. All the time. Um, it's insulting. Um, a lot of times it's from people that look like us. Um, and before I didn't know how to respond to it, I would just get frustrated. Um, I probably wouldn't speak to the person just because like, you're an ass. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm old enough, I actually have the words to call you out and let you know that that does not make me feel comfortable and it's not cool. So I think like my 10 year old self would be very proud that like, I actually finally have the courage to speak to that because it's just not it's not cool Kia, what about you i'm glad i didn't go first because i had to think about it because everything <laughs> that i was thinking about was just straight up insulting <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard question yeah I was I like, ooh, no ooh, no ooh, no um so i would say one that i always get whether they're talking to me well now i get it more because i have my own child but even before like when people always like little black girls and black boys are just the cutest babies. Like, I don't know what it is. It's something about their features or like their curly, curly hair. Like they're just the cutest babies. And like, I just think they're cuter than other babies. I hear that a lot about Asian babies, which is also weird. It's, it's not, a, it's a weird thing to say in general, like to, to compare what do you say? that. Yeah. What do you say? What do you say? Uh, uh, thank is that you. a question? Right. <laughs> like I can't even tell. And then the other the other one is um um <clears throat> also along the lines of the <laughs> of the baby comment because people always think I'm mixed because I'm light skinned, right? So whenever um they're in a mixed relationship or they're they're producing a mixed child, <laughs> it's like I'm the mixed expert, although I'm not mixed. <laughs> like uh, so this is, you, you've seen, you've met my wife or, you know, my husband, um, like, what do you think, how, what color, what shade do you think her baby's going to come out of? Cause like, you know, like that. Wow. I had someone in my class ask me before if one of my parents was white is white because of my light skin, but I'm not that light. So I was like, that was a random thing. Like it happened like during lunchtime too, like out of nowhere, she came up to me and was like, are you half white? I was like, no. And then she asked me, 
is your mom white? I was like, I was like, did I just answer? And then I just say no, but I was like, <laughs> no. And like, she, she was like a dark skinned black girl and she hated me because I was light skinned, but um, she was like, oh, well, you're actually really pretty for a mixed girl. And I was like, I'm not mixed. <laughs> so what the hell? Step off, lady. What? The weirdest insult or comment, I don't know what you call that. Yeah. But like, that was, that, that's my answer, I guess, because like, it was, I was pretty, apparently, but like, it's all weird. It's crazy how much skin complexion, I, I definitely experienced it more, I think, when I was younger, but like, that was always the divide, um, especially within the Black community on like, you know, your complexion. And I think of even whether it's like my family or other families that I know, like, you know, that comes from home and also um, treatment in your home too. Cause I have seen it where you might have a sibling that's lighter than you and that sibling is, is, is treated differently. So I think as a community, we definitely have to do, we have to do better. Um, I am happy that as we get older, people are just more or less ignorant mm-hmm. um, and able to see more than just a skin complexion. Um, but I see that was the question. <laughs> yeah, because like, <laughs> I guess it's case by case. I don't know, but um, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a um, focal point mm. as it was when I was a child. What do you think? I feel like a lot of closeted races came out uh, amongst my friend group, actually. Mm. Probably during the like George Floyd Trump election with Biden Trump yeah. all that 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 showed a lot of, of um what I didn't see before and so <laughs> you're all you're nodding so so much totally um, yeah, it, yeah it was a lot and I feel like I thought that I was like I had a really good you know a good close friendship with these people and the way they reacted to a lot of the things that was happening was showed a lot it showed a lot that's all i can say yeah i don't know i I think it's uh i think i agree with you in a sense and i disagree with you in a sense but again it goes back to agreeing with you because like you said case by case basis when i think about skin tone and the conversations that we have within our community i'm always thinking about the attitudes that are automatically put upon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my husband is famous for this. Like anybody that's listening to this that knows Terrell do, it would be like, oh my God, all the time. You so light skin. Why you got me so light skin? Oh, there go my light skin wife. Ah, ah, right? Like I'm like, ah, right? <laughs> oh, there you go, being light skin. And I'll tell you my 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 most favorite story. Because my mom, she didn't play that shit. And if you, I mean, you both have seen pictures of my mom. She's in between your um beautiful brown complexions so Mm -hmm. when I was born they thought that they were taking me to the wrong room and they the nurses said that out loud they're like oh brother she's like if you don't give me my motherfucking baby (laughs) so the nurses started like whispering behind her back like yo I think she had a favorite the mailman like yo I think she had a favorite the milkman like right come to find out when my father finally pops up because I was born on my mom's birthday so he was out looking for a present so he didn't even know that it was happening Mm-hmm. he's fair skinned as well so then they were like oh okay you good we, it makes sense now but ever mm-hmm. since then she's had like a crazy chip on her shoulder 
about people, you know, calling me white or calling me light skin. And so my he my he was my boyfriend at the time when he one of the first times he was hanging out with my mom and he made a light skin joke or a white girl joke. Don't you know she sat him down for an hour? Immediately. <laughs> the history mm -hmm. of slavery, house niggas, field niggas that like just went in and in and in and in and in. So I think, you know, there and we've had a bunch of conversations about removing the the uh negative stigma behind it because for me right like and I'm sure for you guys as you both shared similar stories in different ways like it affects you whether you know it's affecting you or not you feel like you don't belong or you feel like you have to prove that you do mm -hmm. and all of the attitudes and emotions that come along with that right so I, you know I would tell him because um my bonus babies my stepchildren they're light <clears throat> as well so I'm like I don't like I don't want them ever feeling the way that I felt growing up so like if this is going to be a ha-ha kiki sure but like let's make sure we have a conversation about what that means and what we're what we mean when you're saying it because again you're the only brown motherfucker in this house so <laughs> let's let me clear that it's not just going to be you telling us that we're not good enough because we don't have enough uh, visible melanin you know so like and I think that that happens all the time because we don't think that it oh it's just a joke oh it's just this so it's just that and it's not it's so it was never funny who laughed exactly period full stop that's it that's my answer <laughs> but okay so if we had a truly diverse and inclusive world what would that look like and do you guys think that it would still have the same challenges? I'm going to let the expert handle this one. Yes, Bianca, it's, it's for you. Because <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're phoning a friend. No, no, no. What is it? You phone the expert? It's something like that. We phoning you. That's what we're doing. I got to call Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, take us home. <laughs> um... I think that the world would be a better place if it was more diverse and inclusive. Um, I think that we are a long way mm -hmm. away from having a truly inclusive um, workforce and just country as a whole. I definitely think that the previous um, White House community um, did a lot to dismantle a lot of the change that we've been able to achieve under the Obama administration. So I'm trying to select my words carefully. Yeah, it's a hard question, <laughs> I know. Um, but in short, do I think the world would be a better place? Absolutely. Um, but I think that there are just a lot of, just based on history um, and systemically the way that we operate, um, there's just so many barriers and gatekeepers that aren't willing to allow true representation and welcome um, diverse thought. So I think in short, it would be great for organizations to kind of operate as like individual entities. I think that, you know, in my role, I can't solve for America, but I can certainly help solve for what's happening at, you know, DraftKings. 
Uh, so that's what I enjoy spending my time doing. And then I also encourage a lot of other people as well to, you know, the, the four walls that you have actual control over, like, you know, what impact can you have and how can you influence those around you? Um, but I guess that would be my roundabout answer. Did I answer? Yeah, I think it was, it was well said. It was, it was clear. And I, I agree. I feel like there, it, it caused, I think it creates more peace in a sense, I would hope, but I, I still feel like it would have, it would probably create other challenges because I feel like we are never going to be really happy because we're always finding new things to bitch about at some point. So I feel like it's going to end up being like a whole other issue made up out of nowhere or not, or just, just more brought to light that was hidden before. So I don't know. Hard to say with this, but okay. So I want to ask you, Bianca, what is the most important lesson you have learned over your career? The most important lesson I have learned has been to not take things personal. Mm -hmm. um, I think, especially earlier on in my career, I always felt a sense of loyalty when it came to organizations that I was affiliated with. Um, you know, if I was overlooked for a promotion, if I was left out of a team dinner, I always took it personal. Um, and that's just me kind of leading with emotion versus logic. Um, and I think as I've gotten older um, and in more, I guess, managerial positions, I'm able to see more of like, their strategic framework and understand that like a business is a business. And at the end of the day, a business is going to do what a business is going to do. Mm -hmm. um, so the faster you understand the importance of leaving your emotions at home and not leading with empathy as much as you can, um, it will save you so many heartbreaks. And I wish that I could tell my like 21 year old self that because I mean, the amount of times that it's leaving in an internship or not seeing eye to eye with a manager, leaving a job like that can put you into serious depression. And I think people don't talk about that. There's a grieving phase that happens, um, you know, once you leave a role. So kind of understanding, taking some time out to understand the role that I've played, um, what I can do differently and understanding that business is business. Um, that's kind of helped me move forward, but not taking it personal has been uh, my biggest learning lesson. That is a great lesson. Like, mm -hmm. and I think, at least for me, it's something that I feel like, even though it's constantly in the back of my mind, it's like one of those muscles that has to continually be worked on because it's so easy to like, ooh, like I felt that, <laughs> you know, like it's so easy to make it about you because if you care about what you're doing, you're taking it personally, right? Mm -hmm. So then if it's critiqued or whatever, like eventually it's going to hit somewhere and and if you don't have if, if that muscle length muscling you know it's over for you okay <laughs> yeah in the um in the creative world i talked to so many artists um including myself when um but um we are constantly having this like fear around critiques for our art and i think it's so easy to have that 
taken personally because we are so it's our you know it's our soul into our artwork it's our passion that's poured onto a canvas or in a photograph in a, in a photograph or whatever and to have those things kind of be attacked those are I think that's really hard to not take personally because it's like attacking your like your person your like heart your like you know your inner goods you know so mm-hmm. I'm always learning to like not take that too close to heart because art is subjective so you know it's easy to just like everyone has their own opinion everyone everyone can you know infer it in their own way or take it as they want to so that's a important lesson that I'm still working working on too I have a question for you so as an artist I'd love to hear your reaction to the reactions of the MLK embrace monument that was um set up by Boston Common um I think that from the Black community in particular. Um, There was a lot of outrage on it, just not portraying what they thought MLK um, resembled. So as an artist, like, what are your thoughts on the public outcry? Did that resonate with you? Did that upset you? How do you feel about that? Um, I thought it was actually beautiful, but I do agree that it didn't, you know, show what it should have. And I feel like there were better ways to go about how it should have been displayed or how or created. But I feel like I understand the like the intent behind it, I guess, because it's you know it's an embrace, so it's like it's a good uh, message. But I didn't, I don't feel like it came out the way that it should have. I feel like it would have been better to have like I don't know. I it just felt like it it was lacking a lot of what it it needed to make it as impactful as it could have been. What it's are your thoughts, Bianca? Since you brought it up, I'm curious. So I will be honest with you. I'm not an artist. So like, and I know that art is extremely abstract. So like, I'm as simple as they come, right? So like, I I thought that it was okay. Um, you know, I think having a face for me, if I'm walking down the street, I would know that's like MLK's face. But I also won't make it seem like I'm an expert at all. I do understand that art is extremely abstract. So, and I do know you need to like, come in with a fresh perspective, right? Like looking at things with a um, a different lens. So I wasn't very critical of it. Um, I think that the representation is very important based on, you know, the impact that he had, especially here in mass or him and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, but just always curious to know what folks think. Um, I've, I've seen it at weird angles, so I can see why it was offensive at certain angles. Yes, yeah. Yes. I was wondering if you were going to say that because that's what that was what I was like, what is this? But when I saw it, the full thing, I was like, okay, I understand it. Just like, I think that it wasn't the right, uh, the right choice. Yeah. And I feel like it needed more to make it look less offensive at those angles. (laughs) Agreed. Because in person, it's stunning. But like the different views that I did see to your point online, like, you know, we're local to the area. So of course it's much easier for us to see, but you know, you think of folks that are on the other coast, what's the likelihood that they're coming all the way to Boston to see the the Embrace Monument? Um, so that's all they have are those are those pictures. So I hear you a hundred percent. I just was curious to know what your thoughts were on that. <laughs> Thank you for asking though. Um, I think I'm out of questions, but Kia, do you have anything else to add? No, I think that's a good place to end, to be honest with you. I yeah. like I like it. All Let's right. Home. 
We always end episode with two questions. The first one is, what advice would you give anyone looking to work in your career? Or honestly, you know, since the the uh, theme of this episode was belonging, equity, inclusion, anybody, you can take it two parts or choose to answer one or the other. So the first is advice for people wanting to um, make it in your industry. And the other part is, people that have or will be struggling with the same issues of diversity, equity, inclusion, what would you say to them? All right. So <laughs> two questions. So I'm going to start with breaking into the industry and then I'm going to start with finding that sense of belonging in the workplace. Sounds good. So when it comes to breaking into the industry, um, I'll speak to sports entertainment and DNI. Um, one thing about breaking into sports, because I think that's a very frequent question that I get is like, you have to be more than just a fan. Like if you're from the Boston area, respectfully, like we're all Celtics fans, we're all Red Sox fans, we're all Patriots fans, but like, what is your skill? What is your specialty? What it, what is it that you're really interested in? Because I think that, you know, working in these industries, it's a lot of long nights long hours um, and not the highest paying roles either. So if you're able to remove the glitz and glam, like, is it something that you would really still be interested in? So um, my advice there is always to find a mentor, um, which would be finding someone who is in a position that you aspire to be in, um, set up monthly or bi-monthly check-ins. It could be through email, it could be over Zoom, um, ask them about the way that they've navigated their career, um, give them updates on what you're working on, what you're looking to achieve. Um, in addition to mentorship that also intertwines with networking. Um, I think that networking is, it's always thrown out there, but it's never fully taught on like what you actually do and how you do it. I think for a lot of students or younger professionals, they only network when they need a job and they don't sustain or manage those relationships in between times. So if they can find a mentor to show you those ropes and sustain those relationships, um, I think that that would be uh, probably the most impactful um, and fastest way to break into the industry. Well said, very well said. <laughs> um, and then for the next question on finding that sense of belonging um, at your workplace, um, I think a few things here. Um, I think the first thing would be um, spending some time with your diversity and inclusion department, if you have one, if not connecting with your um, employee relations team. Um, you know, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, we're really here um, to support employees. Um, we're here to have some of those uncomfortable conversations that you may not be able to connect with your HR director on, right? Um, you know, are you feeling as though you're being discriminated against? Are you feeling as though um, there's a pay gap between you and your peers? Um, are you feeling as though you are being constantly overlooked, although your, you know, performance reviews are stellar um, on an annual basis? So I think just gut check, gut checking some of these feelings um, with people that are paid to support you is important. 
Um, I really encourage people to take these conversations out of the group chat. Um, I think it's nice to kick it with your homegirls and share these experiences, but you really need to document things and make sure that your feelings and experiences are being heard by your employer. Um, the second thing would be getting involved in your business resource groups. Um, I think many companies are taking them much more seriously post the murder of George Floyd. I think business resource groups have shifted from being social gatherings to really um, move makers within companies to build culture, um, help with development opportunities, and then also create that sense of belonging, right? So if you are the only person of color and you can't find anyone that looks like you, if you join your BRG, I'm pretty sure you might find someone that looks like you or that has a similar mindset. Um, so I would say get involved, get involved, go to those conferences, um, take advantage of those professional development opportunities and really be intentional about your career. Um, no one's going to advocate for you better than you. Um, so if you are looking to get some guidance, uh, you can slide in my DM. Um, <laughs> I won't charge you, um, but I know, I know when I was like looking and when I was younger, I just really needed to have just some of these genuine conversations to level set my understanding of what that transition is like from, you know, college to corporate, um, or shifting from corporate role to a different corporate role. So. Um, that would be that would be my uh, my advice. Um, you almost led us right into the, the the last question of the episode, which is where can our listeners find you? How can they slide in your DMs, girl? <laughs> um, so they can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, so they can find me on LinkedIn at Bianca Sullivan. Um, they can also find me on Instagram at Bianca Jordan. It's J-O-R-D-A-N-N-E. I was supposed to be named after Michael Jordan, but disappointment, I came out to be a girl. So my mom <laughs> added the Ann at the end to make it. So it's That's still Bianca a girl's name, Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> Jordan. I think I'm going to start calling you that instead of Bianca. What's up, Jordan? <laughs> it's funny though. I I I would respond. <laughs> That's why I've I literally you. never met another Jordan. Never, never, never no. <laughs> All right, B. Thanks so much for joining us. We had such a good time with you. We hope you did too. Yes, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you for the conversation. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and that is a wrap. Fearless Narratives airs every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and we will see you next week.